Have you ever felt a twinge of worry about AI taking over your job or diluting your creativity? Well, what if you could turn that fear into creative fuel? We've just published an amazing new ebook called The Four Keys to Success in an AI World. And this is more than just a guide. It's a deep exploration into the human skills that AI can't touch. The skills that are essential for standing out and thriving, no matter how much technology evolved. We're talking about real differentiators here like creativity, emotional intelligence, critical thinking, and much more. Inside, you'll find actionable insights and strategies to develop these skills, whether you're a creative person, a business person, or just simply someone who loves personal development. This isn't a story about tech taking over. It's a story of human creativity thriving alongside AI. Picture this, AI as your creative co-pilot, not just as a tool, but a collaborator that enhances your unique human skills. The Four Keys ebook will show you exactly how to do that and view AI in a new way that empowers you instead of overshadows you. Transform your creative potential today. Head over to unmistakablecreative.com slash four keys. Use the number four, K-E-Y-S. That's unmistakablecreative.com slash four keys and download your free copy. So say I was calling a girl and she had, you know, a, a brother or a sister. I mean, there was a 25% chance of her actually answering the phone when I called and a 75% chance of the mom, the dad, or the sibling answering the phone. And I can't tell you how many times I would call and um, I would just block. I mean, it would be bad enough if I was just trying to talk and I was like, ha, 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 you know, and asking for her and trying to say my name and trying to get that out. But when you can't say anything and I'm like just gasping for air, they think it's a prank caller or, a, you know, a, a team <laughs> caller. I'd get hung up on. Uh, I mean, I just time and time again. I'm Srini Rao, and this is the Unmistakable Creative Podcast, where you get a window into the stories and insights of the most innovative and creative minds who've started movements, built thriving businesses, written best-selling books, and created insanely interesting art. For more, check out our 500-episode archive at unmistakablecreative.com. Doing creative work can be kind of lonely, and that's why we built the Unmistakable Listener Tribe. The tribe is a community for professionals to connect and support each other. Everything is designed to help you grow your business and share what's working and what isn't. And that's true whether you're a business owner or an artist. You'll get access to feedback, live conversations with guests, and so much more. By joining the tribe, you become part of a community of creators who all support each other, and it's completely free. Hopefully, I'll see you there. Visit unmistakablecreative.com slash tribe to join. Again, that's unmistakablecreative.com slash tribe. Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out of pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Life is full of awesome what ifs, and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, Hello Fresh is your guilt free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello 
Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. As creators, we're always on the move. Whether it's a live podcast event, a pop-up shop, or a workshop, we're constantly interacting with community, and that's where Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe comes in. Imagine this, you're at a live event, a listener loves your merch, or a participant wants to sign up for your course on the spot. With Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe, you can accept their payments right there and then, right from your iPhone so there's no extra hardware or no delays. Total game changer. It's not just for creators. Any business owner can do this. It's about making transactions smoother and much more personal, growing your business in your way. We've been using Stripe for our products and courses for a long time, and now with Tap to Pay on iPhone, you can take your business to the next level too. So visit stripe.com slash tap iPhone to learn more. Remember folks, with Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe, your business is always at your fingertips. Rob, welcome to The Unmistakable Creative. Thanks so much for taking the time to join us. Thanks so much for having me. I'm excited to talk with you. Yeah, it is my pleasure. So, you know, uh, as you and I were saying before uh, we hit record, uh, you've actually been a listener to the show. And I always love it when, you know, I get to hear stories from listeners that are so interesting that I want to have them as guests. In fact, that just, you know, is probably the ultimate compliment in terms of of what we could be accomplishing with the work that we do here. But, um, you know, you told me that you're the creative director for the Universal Theme Park, and immediately I was intrigued. But before we get into all of that, I want to start with a question that you may have heard me ask once or twice. Um, and that is, do you have siblings? And if so, what birth order were you and what impact did that end up having uh, on how your life has turned out? <laughs> so I, uh, I I have an older sister. Uh, she's about 20 months older uh, and she lives in Atlanta and um, she is a lawyer and she's a very successful lawyer living in Atlanta. And um, I'm younger. And it's really interesting because I never really thought about the impact I think until recent years. Um, so she is a lawyer. Um, she got straight A's like throughout everything, you know, all the way through um, her Ivy League law school that she went to. And that was not me. Um, yeah. And so, you know, and so even though she's uh, a year and a half or so older, um, she, uh, she, uh, she was a uh, grade ahead of me in school. So, um, I always had the same teachers that she had like year after year, like it was just a cruel fate or something, but I would always get the same teachers and the teachers would have the expectations that, you know, oh, you know, um, um, her younger brother. So I'll be a straight A student as well. Um, and that was not, the, <laughs> that was not the case. 
Yeah. Well, so uh, there are numerous questions that come from that alone. So you know, it's funny because I think that despite my sister being the younger sibling, she is kind of that same sort of, you know, caliber uh, and pedigree, like, you know, me and uh, my friends joke that I remember when she was first dating, like, who the hell is she going to marry? Elon Musk, like, look at her you know, pedigree. <laughs> and turns out, you know, her husband happens to be kind of the same. He's, you know, Stanford alum, you know, did Harvard, you know, grad school at the Kennedy School, and then worked in the Obama administration. And we're oh like, you two guys are basically like, you know, <laughs> is guaranteed you're going to have genius kids. Um, but the funny thing is, like, I remember for the longest time, I had a very deep sense of inferiority when it came to my sister. I was like, oh, she's a thousand times smarter, which she is, by the way. Um, but there was the sense that, wow, I will never achieve at the level that she has. Um, and I wonder, did you ever feel that growing up, particularly when you had to go through this experience of you know the same teachers and being that close in terms of school? I never felt that personally, and I certainly never felt that from my parents, you know, or the expectation to do as well in school as she did. Um, but I definitely had that feeling, you know, from teachers or guidance counselors or principals even, you know, just because there was like this expectation, you know, where I'm, I don't know, where I'm like begging the teacher for extra credit uh, projects or something or or, you know, like asking for extra help in math. And um, that wasn't the case with my sister, but, um, I think I had a pretty healthy relationship with that. You know, you have a sister who goes and gets an Ivy league degree, you know, becomes a successful lawyer. And that makes me wonder what was the advice that your parents gave each of you about making your way in the world when you were growing up and did it change with you in comparison to what it was with your sister? Did she set any expectation with them? I mean, I know you kind of said they didn't put pressure on you, but um, how did how did the advice change from each sibling? So it's funny, like my sister, um, when she was, I don't know, like in first grade, I think, or maybe second grade, my grandfather was actually taking her to elementary school and um, they were late and he was speeding and they got pulled over by a police officer and my sister, who was, I guess, how, uh, however old a child is in first grade or so, she actually was arguing with the police officer and talked him <laughs> out of the ticket. Like she talked him out of the speeding ticket as, wow. as, uh, as a first grader, you know? So at some point, either my grandfather or grandmother said to her, she should become a lawyer. And it, it was like, so weird. This is like a movie. Uh, but, um, from that instance on, like that was the only thing she had in her head. Like I'm going to become a lawyer. Uh, she never had, you know, like this, um, uh, this, you know, ex, uh, this existential crisis of, well, what should I do? What are my passions? Like she just had it in her head. I'm going to become a lawyer. That's what the path was. And that's what she did. Um, I was all over the place, you know, um, (laughs) I, I loved, cartoons and Disney movies and the Muppets. I thought that Jim Henson was just brilliant and this innovative pioneer. And I loved SNL and comedy writing and Mad Magazine. I mean, so my interests were were just all over the place and none of them were along the traditional path of, okay, well, here's the, you know, like here's exactly everything you have to do 
to become an SNL writer or a Mad Magazine writer or to write for The Onion. You know, I mean, if you're, you know, if you're interested in medicine or becoming a lawyer, there's just a very clear cut path. Here's what you do. You know, here are, you know, here are the electives you take. This is the extra, you know, like these are the activities to, to uh, boost a resume. Um, not the case with me. I, 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 I had no idea how to do any of the things I wanted to do. Hmm. And if memory serves from when you wrote in, you also had to deal with uh, a learning disability of some sort, right? No, no. I, so I started to stutter. Um, ah, I started. Right. To stutter I remember it was at, something along those lines. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I started to stutter at age two, and um, I mean, this was actually probably the biggest thing that has impacted my life. It continues to this day. Uh, you know, I I have overcome a lot of the anxieties around my speech for sure. You know, but it isn't something, you know, that you, um, overcome fully, I would say, but yeah. my speech journey and the stuttering, I mean, that has absolutely played the biggest impact on creativity and, um, me exploring, uh, creative ways of doing things, I'd say. Yeah. Well, I, you probably heard the episode we had with uh, Jose Peranian, who is now a stand-up comedian and public speaker who who stutters. And I, I remember he opened the episode by saying, he was like, for those of you who think there's something wrong with your Wi-Fi, there's not. <laughs> uh, but you know, what I wonder, and it's the same question I had for him, is is how did that impact uh, you know your relationships, your friendships, and particularly your dating life? Like, where oh, does man. that carry you in a dating life? You know, I mean, I can't imagine... You, you know, because I, I think that all of us go into dating situations thinking we have some sort of like real disadvantage when, you know, we don't. It's either the person likes us or they don't. But uh, I mean, you have to overcome real obstacles in communicating just with that yeah. one little basic piece alone. Well, I mean, everything, you know. And so I grew up, you know, um, in the 80s, started to date in the 90s, you know, and there weren't cell phones. God, it makes me sound like a dinosaur, you know, but there wasn't texting or, uh, or any kind of messaging capabilities, you know. It was I remember those days because I grew up those yeah. times. Yeah. Okay, I mean, that, I, you know, so. My roommates are 10 years younger than me, and it's like, you guys don't remember a world without the internet. <laughs> yeah, I mean, so, uh, I mean, yeah, I mean, email would have changed my life. I mean, there's no question about it. And texting, I mean, uh, but I would have to call, um, you know, so say I was calling a girl and she had, you know, a, a brother or a sister. I mean, there was a 25% chance of her actually answering the phone when I called and a 75% chance of the mom, the dad, or the sibling answering the phone. And I can't tell you how many times I would call. And, um, so there's, uh, stuttering, you know, which is basically just like, uh, I don't know. Um, it's like a repetition, you know, of a p -p -p particular sound like that. Yeah. And that's bad, you know, because if you do that enough times, you know, p -p people eventually start to notice and they snicker or they laugh or they make a funny face or whatever. And when you have enough repetitions, then you kind of like evolve into the next phase, which is just blocking, which is like the complete inability whatsoever to get at the sound. It's almost like there's someone and they've got their hands like squeezed around your neck and you can't um, speak, you can't breathe. And so blocking really sucks. So what would happen is when I would call a girl on the phone and, you know, and again, there's like a 75% chance of, of, uh, someone other than her answering the phone. Like I would just block. I mean, it would be bad enough if I was just 
trying to talk and I was like, ha, 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 you know, and asking for her and trying to say my name and trying to get that out. But when you can't say anything and I'm like just gasping for air, they think it's a prank caller or, a, you know, a, a team <laughs> caller. I'd get hung up on. Uh, I mean, I just time and time again. Um, so, yeah, it definitely it did, <laughs> definitely makes, you know, those everyday things hard, like dating yeah. or asking someone out. So I wonder, you know, what did your parents do in order to help you overcome it? Because, I mean, you and I are in conversation and, you, you, I mean, compared to, you know, Jose's level of stutter, like, I don't even feel like you have a stutter just listening to you. Like, I know you've emphasized it just for the sake of, you know, demonstrating. Right, but, right, right. Uh, what, I mean, what did your parents start to do to, to, to help you deal with this? I mean, I'd, I've been in and out of all kinds of different speech therapies my, my whole life, you know, uh, probably starting when I was around two or three. Um, and again, you know, growing up in like pre-internet at the times, of course, you know, was also pretty lonely as far as being a person who stutters because I didn't know anyone else who stuttered, you know, and um, I wasn't insecure about, you know, my sister making straight A's and all this stuff, but I was definitely insecure about my speech. I felt like there was something wrong with me, you know? And when you're a kid and you're sitting in class and you have to read out loud and, you know, like they would always go up and down the rows, you know, okay, so we're going to go up and down, you know, and each person reads a paragraph and just go up and down. And I'm just sitting there waiting for my turn, waiting for my paragraph and you're sweating and, you know, like your neck is burning up. Um, I mean, it's just awful. And I tried a lot of different therapies, tried a lot of different breathing techniques. And I think my stuttering uh, journey uh, has evolved a long way, you know, in terms of therapies and different desensitization techniques, along with um, my journey as a creative person. Just, Mm. you know, because another challenge was... um, you know, if we're in school or something and we have to do an oral report or a presentation, um, I mean, my parents would always be talking to the teachers and looking for other ways for me to do the project other than actually stand up in front of the class and do an oral presentation. Because that, you know, at the time was like going in front of a, of a firing squad. Um, yeah. So that actually forced me to be creative at a young age because I would do things like I'd make videos. I would grab our Sony Handycam a video camera and I would make humorous videos and just other things uh, in terms of presenting the material instead of actually standing in front of the class and doing a presentation. Wow. I love that. Um, so one thing I, I have to ask, you know, I mean, you and I were talking about your wife uh, before we, we hit record. So tell me about the first date with your wife. Like, does a stutter come up? Like how, you know, how did that all unfold? So it's really interesting. Um, we actually met, uh, <laughs> I, I, so I don't think I've ever actually, uh, said this publicly, but we've actually met, uh, on an online dating site. Um, and, um, I never thought I would be on an online dating site and I didn't even go on it because of speech, but it's really interesting how we met because really the beginning of our relationship was just a lot of emails back and forth. Um, so, we've really had the chance to get to know each other through just long detailed emails, you know, and they were funny and they were sincere and, um, they were sweet. And so 
um, by the time we actually met in person, you know, um, we already had established a pretty decent connection. Um, but no, I hid the stuttering. Um, I don't think I actually told her and brought it up until, I don't know, three, four, five months of, of actually dating. Um, because, you know, I guess back to the fear and the insecurities and the, um, inferiority, you know, and all that, uh, I, I just, when you're, when you are, uh, mocked enough times and you kind of have those moments in your head, like you'll look for any way possible to hide it. So basically I got really, really great at hiding my stuttering. You know, you can hide it by, you know, like if I'm speaking to you right now and I want to say, you know, I'm on the unmistakable creative and I'm about to say that, but I have this fear in my head about, oh no, I'm going to block on the you. I can switch, you know, I like, I could just instantly switch what I'm saying and say, I'm on a podcast instead of actually, um, approaching that fear of the you or the C. Uh, so what happens really with people who stutter is you can either openly stutter, which is probably the healthiest thing, you know, and you just have some re- re- repetitions from time to time, but it's pretty easy. You can block, you know, which I described. I mean, that just feels like you're being strangled and can't get a sound out. That sucks. Or you can hide it, which is what I did for probably 30 years, you know, where you avoid words, avoid situations. I would pretend I would have laryngitis in situations. I would go to a restaurant, you know, and if I really wanted to, I don't know, have the steak or yeah, have, have the steak and the waiter is is standing there, you know, and, and, and I'm about to order. And all of a sudden at the last minute, I'm afraid of the S sound or the S T sound. I would switch it and I would order the chicken instead. Um, wow. and I went through, yeah, I mean, I mean, decades, decades of really not ordering what I wanted, not saying what I wanted, um, going to the movie theater, you know, and I wanted to see this movie, but I got up to the counter and, and I was afraid to say that movie. So I would see something else instead. <laughs> and just, and so, so many situations, you know, which really just leads to not being authentic, right. And not being yeah. true to myself. Wow. So you know, I, have, I have two questions about this. Uh, one, I, I don't think that we ever completely outgrow uh, all of our insecurities. I think that mm. we're all insecure about something like I th- I'll be the first to admit that I think that, you know, despite, um, you know, sort of getting over it to some degree, I think I'm still insecure about the fact that, you know, I'm 41 and single and, you know, I, which is the bane of, exi- you know, my mother's existence and the bane of any <laughs> Indian mother's existence. Um yeah, like that is definitely like a source of insecurity for me. Um, but, you know, I think that we all feel insecure about something or other. And, uh, you know, I mean, and obviously, like in your life, it played in a way where you're choosing not to eat what you want to eat and see the movies you want to see, which is crazy. But what do you say to people about the things that they're insecure about? I mean, which, you know, may not be stutters, but there's something. Yeah, well. I think what I've realized in recent years that I wish I realized a hell of a lot sooner was that everyone's got something. Um, and, um, I mean, cause I just remember growing up and feeling, you know, really, really alone because we didn't have the internet, you know? So I didn't know anyone else who stuttered and I definitely didn't know anyone my age who stuttered, you know? So you feel like, like you feel like everyone is looking at you and you feel like everyone is pointing at you and whispering behind your back. And I guess the older I've gotten, I've realized that 
people aren't really focused on you because they've got their own stuff that they're <laughs> worried about. You know, like yeah. no one. I mean, like when you're a teenager and going through Target or wherever, you know, you think everyone is looking at you and there's this big spotlight. And then when you're older, you know, like, you know, no one cares. Like everyone is so caught up in their own stuff. And, um, you know, and it's really interesting because I, um, so I have two kids, you know, and we talk about this stuff a lot at the dinner table because, um, our daughter has a uh, celiac disease, you know, um, which is an autoimmune disease. And she has, she has to be gluten-free, you know, so it's not a bad diet, uh, but she ha- has to be gluten-free for her health. And like the smallest little microscopic piece of gluten would basically a- attack her body. Um, so that's been really challenging for her, you know, if there's a party at school or a birthday party, and, you know, or the teacher is, has, Play-Doh or something. I never knew that Play-Doh, play that I never knew that Play-Doh has gluten in it, you know? Me either. (laughs) um, Yeah, I mean, so just like things like that, like that's been a struggle for her. And she's felt very much alone. She's felt like, you know, um, you know, how will I cope with this and how will I live my life with this? And it's really interesting because we see, yeah, she's got that and I've got stuttering and another kid has ADD or a peanut allergy, or, I mean, everyone's got something. And, um, you know, I think accepting that and trying to come to peace with it is, um, is the healthiest thing we can try to do. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... 
All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. As creators, we're always on the move. Whether it's a live podcast event, a pop-up shop, or a workshop, we're constantly interacting with community, and that's where Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe comes in. Imagine this. You're at a live event, a listener loves your merch, or a participant wants to sign up for your course on the spot. With Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe, you can accept their payments right there and then, right from your iPhone so there's no extra hardware or no delays. Total game changer. It's not just for creators. Any business owner can do this. It's about making transactions smoother and much more personal, growing your business in your way. We've been using Stripe for our products and courses for a long time, and now with Tap to Pay on iPhone, you can take your business to the next level too. So visit stripe.com slash tap iPhone to learn more. Remember folks, with Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe, your business is always at your fingertips. Yeah. So speaking of coming to peace with, with things like this, you know, you told me uh, beforehand uh, when before we started uh, hitting record that your wife is a psychologist. And anytime I talk to people who come from this background, my first question from them for them is always, does this make you as a parent immune to the bullshit that every other parent has to deal with just because you happen to have like this breadth of knowledge? Like as a psychologist, you know, is your wife adept at handling parenting situations are more adept than most of us are. <laughs> oh, gosh, I don't know. I mean, um, I think to some degree, yes, you know, and I mean, um, so she, you know, she got her PhD in, in uh, pediatric neuropsychology. And then, you know, she, um, she did a, a bunch of residencies and she worked at several different children's hospitals and she has a, a private practice now. Um, and so she's definitely, you know, seen her fair share of stuff in working with kids and has definitely helped countless families. And I think that's definitely given her an advantage in terms of looking at things from a parenting standpoint. But at the same point, um, it's different when it's your own kid. You know, so and, you know, and it's hard to sometimes translate or transfer to what you've seen in other kids or even how you've helped other kids and how to adapt that to, uh, to your own children. Well, I'd imagine sometimes the things that you teach your children come back to bite you in the ass too, because oh, suddenly yeah, they're like, you, you taught me this. So, you know, it's just like, you know, something I, I don't, I mean, I have so many of these situations, with my parents, you know, I always tell them, it's like, you guys dragged me around the world for my entire childhood. And now you're surprised that I want to see more of it. I like, you only have yourselves to blame for this. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, we, um, we have always been very, Oh, very honest um, and open with the kids, you know, in terms of just everything, in terms of feelings and emotions or politics or the world or things that are happening, you know, which is really, so they're 11 and 8. And, you know, we've we've definitely had some interesting dinner table conversations and um, the way that they approach the world and politics and all these different things in the environment, like it blows my mind sometimes. Um, and they're incredibly empathetic. Um, but 
sometimes I think that makes it hard for them to maybe have conversations with other kids who aren't interested in talking about the presidential election or what this means for the future of the world or whatever the case. Yeah. So one thing that I wonder about being married to a psychologist, do you have moments when you have to have, you you tell your wife, okay, turn off the psychologist and be my wife? Because I've seen this with friends who are are life coaches, right? You'll call them and, you know, like I, I remember having this conversation with a friend after a breakup and I remember she went into coaching mode and then I was like, listen, I don't want you to be my damn coach. I just want you to shut the hell up and listen to me complain. (laughs) Right, right, right. I just need to vent. Um, No, she's pretty good about that. Um, She started uh, after getting her PhD. She was uh, working at a children's hospital in Philadelphia. And I mean, just was really seeing some brutally difficult things every single day with the kids that she had to see. And I think she developed early on like the ability, you know, or just like the survival technique, you know, that look, I mean, I'm seeing some crap every day and I have to turn it off uh, when I get home. Um, So uh, there's a pretty good uh, divider there. Yeah. Wow. All right. So walk me through how you get from being this kid with a stutter to the creative director at a theme park. Um, so it's so weird and doesn't really make a lot of sense because like I said, I mean, I would not, I mean, I would just avoid speaking altogether. Like, and so all of my teachers in school, like they always knew that I stuttered, um, you know, cause we would, have a sit down meeting at the beginning of the school year every year with my parents or the principal. And we'd have to go through the whole thing again and explain, you know, this is Robbie and he stutters and he doesn't want to do this or that. Um, that sucked. Um, so I was always, I mean, at a young age, I had to find other ways to express myself because I pretty much could not talk. I could not say a sound. So, you know, as I said, you know, like if I had to do an oral report or something, I would make a video. And I would have all this video equipment at home. I had, you know, an editor um, and a title maker and a sound mixer and all the stuff. And I would put together like these crazy elaborate videos. And I loved, I just loved doing it. Um, And even though like my speech was really keeping me from doing a lot of things, asking out girls, um, seeing different movies, ordering food, whatever, I don't know, for some reason, I had it in my head that I did not want it to let me, I didn't want it to dictate what I did with my career. And even though I had a guidance counselor who told me one time that um, I needed to find a job where I didn't have to talk, and she, <laughs> and she requested I could be a park ranger or um, a mime. A mime was actually <laughs> I don't think I've ever heard a high school a guidance mime. counselor suggest that somebody should become a mime. I didn't even know you could uh, that 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 was a viable career option, but yeah, so you know hearing things like that in the back of my head, I'm like like i I had so much energy you know and passion for humor writing and comedy and SNL and entertainment and movies and TV. And, you know, and I wanted to do all these crazy things. And so hearing a park ranger or or a mime um, really wasn't what I wanted. But um, yeah, so my journey was basically majoring in advertising in college and just 
having to do different things than everyone else was doing because I couldn't communicate, you know? So if I was in an advertising class and we had to do a presentation, you know, again, I mean, I would have to do a video or record something or you know, just try to find another way to express myself. Um, so I did that for a long time, you know, and, and, uh, um, it's just been really an interesting, interesting journey, you know, of just a lot of different advertising agencies and a lot of different states and big agencies and small agencies and, um, big accounts and small accounts and a lot of different personalities. But along the way, like the only consistent thing was basically hiding my speech because in my head, like if anyone ever found out that I stuttered, it would, I would be mortified. You know, if, if, if anyone knew, or if my creative director knew, or the head of the agency knew that I stuttered, you know, I just had it in my head. They would never uh, put me on a big account or bring me into a client meeting, you know? And so along with like all of that, screwed up stuff in my head. I mean, I'm still in different speech therapies and going to a psychologist and looking into anxiety meds and like all these other things to kind of help control my, uh, my past and present feelings about speech and stuttering. And then, um, also just trying to evolve and grow as a copywriter and a creative person. Um, so that was, that whole thing was a really long and uh and ever evolving twisting journey. Wow. All right. Well, I want to talk about the creativity that goes into a theme park. I mean, you're the creative director at a theme park and you know, I think when I, I we were talking before we hit record, you know, to me like the handful of times that I have been to a theme park, I I have this sort of sense that wow, they've created this, you know, world that is separate from the real world where you know, hot dogs cost $20, uh, which by the way, I want to know why that is since I'm talking to you. Cause you know, ball games and, you know, theme parks, I'm like, you're going to pay, you know, top dollar for food that sucks. Um, that costs nothing elsewhere. So we have, you have to answer that question for me. The other question I have is why the theme park industry and the carnival industry have a monopoly on funnel cakes. I've never been able to figure this out. Um, so you can answer that one for me too, but you know, those, those ridiculous questions aside, um, I do want an answer on the funnel cakes more than the hot dogs. Uh, but you know, what goes into creating, you know, this, you know, world that captures the imagination that's so different from the world that we're in on a daily basis? Yeah, that's a great question. So I grew up in Orlando, um, and, um, I loved going to the parks. I mean, so of course, Disney was here. We got uh, Universal, I think, in 89 or 1990, you know, but I I just, even as a small child, I, I was just so amazed. And it wasn't even with the attractions or the roller coasters themselves. I mean, it was just this kind of immersive aspect, like you said, you know, and I really, I, I was always just always so amazed and impressed with like the individual details, you know, so at uh, Disney World, you know, um, at uh, the Magic Kingdom, you know, how like the trash cans, for example, in Adventureland are different than the trash cans in Tomorrowland. I mean, and just, just as an example, I mean, just those little individual details were so important in immersing a guest in the experience. So, you know, in, you know, 
as I said, growing up in Orlando, like we went to the parks a lot and it just became something that, um, that became a huge passion of mine. Um, and what goes into it? So as someone, you know, who is now on the other side, you know, who is, um, behind the scenes to a certain extent in helping to tell those stories, I, there is more that goes into it than I could have ever imagined, you know, from like the conversations about, you know, just like thinking about everything in terms of, uh, ride capacity, you know, and how many people, um, is, um, how many people can possibly go on an attraction every hour to, you know, the location of the restrooms. I mean, just all of these different things that you have to think about and have to take into consideration. Um, Universal, you know, is fascinating to me, you know, because we have all of these different pieces of into, uh, of intellectual property in our parks, like Jurassic World or Harry Potter or uh, Despicable Me, you know, so, which adds another interesting level to, um, I mean, the collaboration that has to be involved, you know, with all of these, these individual properties to help take those stories and bring them to life. And I can't give you an answer on the funnel cake because I'm sworn to secrecy on that. <laughs> Damn it. I'm still convinced that, you know, the only places you can get them and maybe because, you know, if you eat them too often, you'll die. Because I remember I had what I thought was the most brilliant business idea when I was in uh, business school. I was, I think, uh, Pinkberry, which is this like frozen yogurt yeah. place had just become really hot at the time in L.A. And, you know, frozen yogurt was becoming all the rage. And I remember telling a friend, I'm like, you know what? nobody has done yet. They've never created a place where you can buy funnel cakes because the damn carnival industry and theme parks have a monopoly. Why <laughs> is that? And my friend sat down and he was like, yeah, but he's like, we got to make it healthy. I'm like, dude, that's an oxymoron. You can't make a funnel cake that's healthy unless it's Absolutely. disgusting. <laughs> yeah. Uh, you know. There's no such and I remember, thing. you know, eating one like, and every time I eat one, I'm, I see one, I'm like, oh, that looks amazing. And immediately afterwards, I'm like, damn it, I regret eating this. <laughs> so good at the time though. Yeah. So, you know, I, I think that what I love about, you know, what you've said is that you're creating a, an immersive experience. And I am, I think that really struck me because I don't think we're limited to physical spaces when it comes to immersive experiences, right? If you look at the best writers, what do they do? They immerse you in whatever they're saying. I, I think that to me, you know, we were saying before, you know, we hit record, like the thing that I will look for before anything else is what this person's story is like. And is there a possibility to get a listener so immersed in the story that they can just sit in their driveway and we can create, you know, what NPR calls driveway moments? But I guess the, the real question is then how do people bring that into their own work um, if they're not creating work out in the physical world? Because you, know, you as a theme park director probably have a lot of insight on how we bring it into other areas of our, our creative work. Yeah, so... I think one thing that I had to overcome in my own head, you know, because when you're, when, so when I was uh, starting out, you know, um, I worked on a lot of just really less than sexy accounts. I mean, I've done stuff for, um, I've written ads or, or TV commercials or, you know, all kinds of things for things like bed bugs or pest control products or, um, all kinds of insurance. I mean, I mean, just really like really, really 
dry stuff. I've done natural gas. I mean, how do you sell natural gas? I mean, every company's got the same kind of natural gas. It just, you know, it's a different logo on um, a billing statement, you know? So I always had this mindset when I was starting out, you know, that, that you can't do flashy work and sexy work unless it's, you know, for like a big flashy brand. And, um, and after a few years of kind of thinking that I realized that's a cop out. I mean, um, that's an easy way to say, I'll do like the bare minimum or give like the first or second idea that I have and not have to push any harder because, you know, it's a non-sexy brand. Um, I think, I think everything has gotten smarter. TV, obviously, movies, um, and advertising and the way we communicate with people has just gotten smarter. And I think now, like, you have to immerse people in something if you want them just to listen to your message. I mean, I don't care if you are writing copy for a Facebook ad or a banner ad. I mean, and I don't think I've ever intentionally clicked on a banner ad in my life. But I mean, I think if you're still doing it, you've got to think about what will get someone to stop with, to, to stop scrolling with their thumb and to listen. And, you know, I think it's harder than ever, obviously, because um, attention spans and there's so much noise and so many channels. But I think I like to do something, you know, um, and I heard this from uh, someone else and, you know, and, and I don't even remember their name to give them credit to it. But like the idea is like, like in everything you do, you need to find some kind of a human truth, right? I mean, like, mm, I like if you are doing something about bed bugs, like, like, what does that mean? You know, how do they affect a person who's sleeping in their sheets and they wake up in the morning and they've got like hundreds of bites all, all over their arms and legs? Like, what does that mean? What does that feel like? Uh, do you feel like you've been invaded? Like your space is no longer safe and secure, you know, it's just like, like, how do you unpackage something enough and unravel it until you can find something that's actually true? So it doesn't feel like an ad or you know, just, you know, a bunch of marketing fluff, but it feels like you read it or you hear it and you shake your head and nod your head and be like, yeah, I've been there. I get that. It's so funny to hear you say this because, you know, I think that, you know, when you mention the words human truth, I'm thinking to myself, yeah, that's that's literally what it is that makes every guest that we have, um, you know, who they are is that they express a human truth that people can resonate with. And, you know, I think that that's really what's at the core of the, the most resonant stories. You know, and even thinking about my friend Mars Dorian, who talks about this idea of, you know, standing out in a way that his work is so distinctive, like you, you, know, you see his stuff, it rolls through your feed. And, you know, I love that you brought up this idea of, you know, you know, not being able to do these things if you don't have sort of a sexy brand. Because I, I remember I did a a, a workshop uh, for Citibank and it was, uh, you know, a half day workshop in which we're talking about creativity and, and productivity. And the night before the workshop, I went to a shopping center in L.A. called The Grove. And mm-hmm. normally I would have never noticed the signs, uh, but because I was giving them doing the workshop for them, I saw their signs and I thought to myself, this sign is really forgettable. There's nothing about this that would make me actually stop and look at it if it weren't for the fact that I'm talking to these guys tomorrow. And then I thought to myself, now, if Mars Dorian designed 
the stuff for them. <laughs> you wouldn't be able to not stop and look at it. Yet, I think that the fact that, you know, they've got this like 100 year old brand, this logo that everybody knows would prevent them from taking that risk. Yeah, I, I, um, I think a big challenge, you know, that, that people who are in advertising or in a marketing field often have to face, you know, is that um, there's always like everything always feels like it's rushed. You know, everything is, you know, is, um, you know, is already late. It was due yesterday. We have to get something out there as soon as possible. And I think I, I don't exactly know what's driving that, um, but it just seems like that's always the case every place I've ever worked. And I think in the desire sometimes to get something out or to beat someone else to the marketplace with a message, I mean, you're sacrificing that, you know, that true insight again, that pure insight that will lead to the human truth that will make someone feel something. Um, it's a shame. Yeah, I, I guess yeah, it's funny because the follow up to that was going to be, I mean, how do you uncover the human truth in something? I mean, you're talking about it through the lens of, you know, designing theme parks, but I mean, how do you find that thread? Because I, I don't feel, and I, I'm not expecting a step-by-step answer to this. Like, this is one of those questions yeah, yeah, where yeah. I think you don't don't really have an answer, more probably just an insight. Um, You know, I, I might have an answer. So I love just to, I think in order to create something immersive for a reader, a theme park guest, anyone, you need to first immerse yourself in just everything you can about whatever it is you're trying to think about or solve from a creative standpoint. So, you know, if I'm, you know, if I'm working on a project, say for, um, I don't know, coffee, you know, uh, uh, just like I will dig into articles and research and YouTube videos and just as, just as many different things and different perspectives as possible, you know, to understand the to understand the perspective of the person who's growing the coffee beans, you know, um, I want to know what the everyday life is of the person, the farmer out there is growing the coffee beans. And what is that like? And then the process of transferring the beans onto the next step, you know, and then getting into the store. I want to know about what the, the place that the cup of coffee, you know, has in the everyday life of the mom or the dad or, you know, the husband or the wife or whoever, you know, who is exhausted and taking that first sip of cup of coffee in the morning, you know, or the people who went on a first date and they bonded over a cup of coffee. I mean, just all of these different experiences. And I think when you just kind of immerse yourself in this, almost to the point of like, you know, ad nauseum (laughs) immersion, where you're just trying to understand every little detail, it ceases to become a product or a brand or a theme park or whatever, because you start to really get the human experience of it and what those coffee beans mean and what the first sip of coffee in the morning tastes like or what a a cup of coffee after an incredible meal feels like. Um, And I think all of that immersion into the experience will lead you to creating what's true about that. Like what's true and, 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 and what impact does that experience have on the people who are taking part in it? Wow. I love that. I mean, you've literally just given me so much fodder to think about even for my own ad reads for the show. 
Awesome. <laughs> this has been really, really fun. Uh, I have just learned so much talking to you and, and feel like you've just filled this with nuggets of wisdom. So I have one final question for you, which I, I know you've heard me ask. Uh, what do you I think I don't know about is? funnel cakes. <laughs> well, damn it. Like of all the people who could have given me this answer, I was expecting it from you. And you, fa- in this regard, this interview has been a complete failure because I still don't know why the theme park industry has a funnel cake monopoly and you monopoly. happen to be the creative director at one. Absolutely. This is really unfair. Maybe it's because they want to save the health of the American public. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure that's it. So, so uh, what do you think it is that makes somebody or something unmistakable? I think it's the thing that when you're not with them and you're not talking to them, but when you think about them, it's like the first thing that comes to mind. Um, I think of my grandmother and um, who has passed away, but I think about her and she just optimistic is not the right word, um, but, but just more like pure joy would wake up every day and just be happy that the birds were chirping or happy that the sky was blue or happy that it was cloudy. I mean, just would find something to be happy about. And so when I think of her and when I remember her and when I talk about her to my kids, like I talk about her joy. So I think what makes someone unmistakable is, is, you know, I guess what is like the thing about them that you think about when you think of them? I love that. That has to be one of my favorite answers I've ever heard. Thank you. Wow. Well, um, I can't thank you enough for taking the time to join us uh, and share your stories and your insight and your wisdom with our listeners. So where can people find out more about you without necessarily having to buy a ticket to Universal Theme Park? (laughs) Well, if you do want to buy a ticket to the parks, you can find us online and there's annual passes available. Um, I am on Twitter. I'm on LinkedIn, Instagram, all that stuff. Um, at Rob Bloom CW, R O B B L O O M C W. Awesome. And for everybody listening, we will wrap the show with that. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Unmistakable Creative Podcast. While you were listening, were there any moments you found fascinating, inspiring, instructive, maybe even heartwarming? Can you think of anyone, a friend or a family member who would appreciate this moment? If so, take a second and share today's episode with that one person because good ideas and messages are meant to be shared. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Have you ever felt a twinge of worry about AI taking over your job or diluting your creativity? Well, what if you could turn that fear into creative fuel? We've just published an amazing new ebook called The Four Keys to Success in an AI World, and this is more than just a guide. It's a deep exploration into the human skills that AI can't touch. The skills that are essential for standing out and thriving, no matter how much technology evolved. We're talking about real differentiators here like creativity, emotional intelligence, critical thinking, and much more. Inside, you'll find actionable insights and strategies to develop these skills, whether you're a creative person, a business person, or just simply someone who loves personal development. This isn't a story about tech taking over. It's a story of human creativity thriving alongside AI. 
Picture this, AI as your creative co-pilot, not just as a tool, but a collaborator that enhances your unique human skills. The Four Keys ebook will show you exactly how to do that and view AI in a new way that empowers you instead of overshadows you. Transform your creative potential today. Head over to unmistakablecreative.com slash four keys. Use the number four, K-E-Y-S. That's unmistakablecreative.com slash four keys and download your free copy.